0: This episode is brought to you by The Swindle Society, an online member marketplace for trading fashionable children's clothing and accessories. By reimagining and modernizing the secondhand clothing industry, The Swindle Society has helped parents create a circular economy and reduce waste. Save time, save money, save the earth. Swindle. The Swindle Society is also offering Eco Chic listeners 50% off their first month of standard membership with the code Eco Chic 50. The Swindle will be in the show notes.
1: Everything you do is making an impact in this world.
0: This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco conscious lifestyles. What? Like it's hard? Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz, and it is so nice to have you here today. I hope you're doing well. Today's episode is a really good one. I love talking about fashion and the secondhand economy and conscious consumption. And today we're taking it to a whole other level because we're speaking with Jen Zuckley of the Swindle Society. The Swindle Society is an online member marketplace for trading kids' clothing and accessories. So the keywords here are not only kids clothing and accessories, but also trading. It's not just a place for you to sell and buy clothes. The Swindle Society is a really cool secondhand marketplace model where you're sending in items and then also getting credit for your items to get things in return from their other members. Swindle Society really started out of Jen's desire to recycle and repurpose her own children's clothing. And she talks in the episode a little bit more about her background and what brought her to think of this marketplace model. I think the important thing to also notice is when we're talking about kids' clothing, kids grow quickly. You go through a lot of clothing, and I know that there's a lot of new moms out there who are struggling either to keep up with the cycles of sizes, of seasons, and how are you constantly refurbishing your child's closet so it not only fits them, but it's appropriate Jen started the Swindle Society in 2016 as a way for friends and family to give their kids clothing a new home. And by 2017, it became a full-fledged company. That's how you know it's a good idea when your friends and family just can't keep it to themselves. Four years later, the Swindle Society has facilitated... Thousands of trades and helped countless families outfit their children through major milestones holidays halloweens the important outfits that you're putting your kid in the swindle society has an option for you in 2020 alone the swindle society has recycled 2.2 tons of clothing when i heard this number i was absolutely floored because i think that the clothing industry historically we've talked a lot about it before on the show it has such a wasteful component to it because not only are certain textiles not able to be recycled or they're not recycled properly, on the production side there's a lot of clothing manufacturing processes that are just simply wasteful. And we've previously discussed that one in six people in the world is employed in some capacity in the fashion industry. So this is truly an issue that touches every single person. We're all experiencing the problems that are coming to light more and more of the fashion industry. So I think the Swindle Society is a marketplace solution that is truly going to impact a lot of people, not just moms, but I think it's such an interesting model to be able to apply to other types of industries and to other clothing segments. So Jen and I talk a little bit about the scaling of it towards the end of the episode, but all in all, I think it is such an interesting conversation. I feel like you're going to gain a lot of value from it Again, I mentioned that I know a lot of people out there are new moms. I know that a lot of people are new parents and they're dealing with a lot of the struggles that Jen is helping find solutions for. However, even if you're not part of that group, I think that the Swindle Society model is truly one that will change the conversation seriously in the circular economy, in the fashion economy. And I very much appreciate Jen and the Swindle Society team partnering with me on this episode to bring you this conversation. I mentioned they have extended a 50% off coupon code for Eco Chic listeners, EcoChic50, that I will have in the show notes, theswindlesociety.com, and I highly encourage you to check it out. I'm excited to hear your feedback on it. If you enjoy this episode of Eco Chic, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps me out a lot. I'm on Instagram at Podcast, and my personal Instagram, personal Twitter are always linked in the show notes as well if you are so inclined to check those out. With that, let's get into our conversation with Jen Zukli of the Swindle Society, all about the children's secondhand economy and entrepreneurship in fashion. Jen, I'm really excited about today because I would love to just get right into it and hear a little bit about how you got to where you are. How did the Swindle Society come to be? Well, Laura, I'm happy to be here and talk about this with you. Swindle started actually very
1: small in my neighborhood. I was a relatively new mom myself. I had a daughter and then two years later had a son. So I had about a one-year-old son and a three-year-old daughter living in Manhattan. Just actually at the time we were living in Brooklyn, just buckets and buckets of all these like little girl clothes. And I was just accumulating all this stuff. And I didn't know what to do with it and you know I started googling and asking around and I found that nobody had like a great plan <laughs> unless they happened to have a sister who had the exact you know opposite situation and they were able to pass it on kind of within their family like nobody was feeling really great about what to do with their kids clothes so I Built upon my learnings from before I had retired, my first retirement from corporate world. And in that job, I had been the head of e-commerce for a vacation exchange company where it was a membership model and they had created a platform to allow people to basically swap what they owned and let them continue on vacation. So I worked with them to really transform that from an offline, primarily call center-based business to driving most of the traffic through the website. And I know, you know, hey, this is vacations, very different, very different environment than kids' clothes, but there was actually a lot of ways I could kind of build upon what learnings I had from that and creation of a membership model and a swapping model and said, how can I apply that to these kids' clothes? And when I started looking at it, I was like, all right, well, I've got this three-year-old daughter and one-year-old son. At first, I was like, well, maybe I can find somebody else in my neighborhood who has the opposite situation. And maybe we could just kind of create this really fun little, you know, here's a bag of girl clothes, here's a bag of boy clothes. And we could kind of just have this, you know, great little kumbaya moment. And then, as I started thinking through it, I'm like, well, you know, how do I find that family? And, like, how do we make it fair? And what if my clothes are nicer or her clothes are nicer or we have kind of different styles? You know, how could we make this work on a bigger basis and finding more people who, you know, we could kind of put it all in a pool and then be able to take out what we needed and keep it still fair? So, kind of a clothing swap en masse. And yet, nobody wants to take the time to take all the pictures and do all the like pricing and shipping of stuff. So how do you create an environment where it's really easy to get it all to a centralized service and then let them do the work. And then you just get to take out something that's comparable to what you put in. And that was sort of the original concept. And that's really how it has evolved. But when we first started, it was literally just like a group of my friends and family neighborhood. And Had built a very low fidelity website and was doing it mostly in like Excel in my living room and trying to take pictures on like a white sheet (laughs) and really just figuring out the logistics. How do you have people just basically return the items first? You know, how do you get them to send you their items as like the first way of acquiring inventory? And then how do you value them and how does that work to make it so that it's fair without making it too complex and without doing a just a straight up confinement model.
0: I really like the idea of applying a membership model to secondhand clothing swaps because I think it's really different. And I was mentioning this to you before. I haven't seen anything on a comparable scale to, like you mentioned, the vacation home swaps, or a membership model for clothing, especially when it comes to kids clothing. And I like that it really was born out of a place where you saw a problem, there was this necessity for a solution, and you took the tools in front of you to apply them to your situation. Because it's a really good testament to how entrepreneurship is not always about reinventing the wheel. It's just like taking the tools and making them fit for you. So I really do like that. Well, and you know, let's be honest, there are platforms out there, right? There's the
1: peer-to-peer space where you can take all the pictures and you can list them and you can, you know, use the platforms, you know, the eBays and the Poshmarks of the world to be able to sell the stuff, but then you're doing all the work and you don't know if it's gonna sell and you have to take all the pictures and the kids' clothing stuff is tends to be a significantly lower price point. And you still have to pay a cut to the house, so to speak. And then as the consumer, as the buyer, unless you find that one person who's Selling, you're then buying across multiple people, paying multiple shipping rates and what have you. And typically, what we hear is the return is just not worth the amount of time and effort that you put into it. And so, unless it's like you're just getting one specific thing and you're just looking for that thing, okay, maybe that makes sense. But as the seller, it's a lot of work with very little return. There's also obviously consignment out there. And what I struggled with with consignment is that. In the places where they made it really easy from my living room, ship it out, and then you kind of wait for them to sell it and find out what you get. The payouts for those are, are just so low at for kids' clothes. They're they typically about five to ten percent. So you'd have to sell, you know, <laughs> 10 to 20 items in order to be able to buy back that same item. And I was just very again, a kids' clothes space. It's not just that you have to get rid of the old, but you you are constantly in a cycle of needing to replace it. So it really fits so nicely into that kind of circular fashion space because again, we probably just need to get rid of more stuff. (laughs) But for the kids, you not only have to get rid of it, but I still need a sweater. I just need it in a 3T instead of a 2T. And so that constant closet revolution really lended itself to trying to figure out how to make a cycle where people could just Put in and take out what they needed when they needed it for whatever child that they needed.
0: Yeah, it is a constant cycle because kids grow quickly. And you're totally right in saying that if you are already taking all of this time to take photos of your clothing and post it online, and you're not even making back enough money to replace those items, it's not really worth the effort that you're putting out there. And I also would love to talk a little bit about circular fashion that you touched on when we talk about kids' clothing, because like you mentioned, it's a much lower price point than adult clothing. And I'm curious to know a little bit about like the sustainability aspect of children's clothing. What are some gaps? What are we not talking about yet?
1: Well, I think that there's a few factors. I think more and more people are getting more thoughtful in terms of trying to buy like better quality fabrics, even on the lower end brands are seeing a lot more like organic cottons coming into play. So from like a manufacturing and like resource standpoint, that's great. That being said, I think a lot of people's mindset, especially when it comes to kids' clothes is kind of the flip side of the kind of the same point I was just making that it's cyclical that they are like well if my kid's only going to wear this item for three months and they tend to be kind of hard on it I'm not going to spend a lot of money on it so I'm just going to buy a bunch of quote unquote disposable stuff I'm going to just go and get that fast fashion and just buy a bunch of these things that the kid's only going to wear a couple times and then it's you can't really keep washing it. And I think that that's a cycle that all of us kind of need to be really thoughtful about, you know, again, for adult clothes as well as kid clothes. But I think a lot of the mindset around kids clothes is just, well, they're only going to wear it for a short time. So I'm not going to spend much money on it. I'm just going to get a bunch of these cute little outfits at Target. Well, hey, you know, we all tend to impulse buy It happens to the best of us. But more and more, I think what needs to happen is that we we buy less and we buy better quality that can be washed, that can be stain treated, that can then last and have value beyond just the three times your kid wears it. And if we think about changing our shopping behavior a little bit, I think that in and of itself will, you know, if you think about value being more of a like cost per wear (laughs) and not just your wares, but the wear of that garment, you know, throughout its life, all of a sudden the value proposition changes considerably. And the other side of it is that I think a lot of people, when they think of kid clothes, they almost think of it as like a household operating expense. Well, my kid's going to grow out of stuff. So I have to spend X amount of dollars, you know, each month or each quarter to buy new clothes, but they're not thinking about, well, how, what am I doing with all those things I've already bought? And I think that also needs to be a mind shift for people and people will give away clothes. And I'm never going to tell somebody not to give away clothes, but I also think that some people just do it because it's the path of least resistance. And instead of like thinking through, well, what is the better solution for both myself for the world, for like society as a whole. <laughs> and I think there are some better solutions. Donating can be great, but a lot of people just can, I don't want to say absentmindedly, but you know, they put a bag of clothes in the back of their car and then they, they're like, okay, I'm just going to donate it. They don't necessarily think through where those items are going to end up. And again, I'm never going to tell anybody not to donate. I think that there's great organizations out there but you also have to just be mindful. A lot of times, especially when it's kid clothes, these organizations get so many. And most cases, you know, there are some where those clothes are actually going to be worn by, you know, children or families in need. But in a lot of cases, they're getting resold or they're getting textile recycled for that nonprofit's mission. And that might be okay with you, but your winter coat that you think is like, oh, well, some child that needs it is going to get this winter coat maybe, maybe not. (laughs) And I think that's where people tend to just not want to think about it too much and just want to get the clothes out of their house. And I think that there's plenty of opportunity for them to be a little more thoughtful about where their clothes are ending up and how to turn those clothes into value back for their household.
0: Right. Right. Not even just turning value back for their household. But it's interesting to talk about organizations that may be reselling clothing, maybe reusing the textiles in some capacity. Which it's isn't also. Bad. Yeah, which isn't bad, which isn't necessarily yeah. bad. But it's also interesting to think I think a lot of people don't realize that when there are these maybe charity thrift shops or other organizations that are taking back clothing donations mm-hmm. for children, when they have too many, they are throwing things into the landfill. Like I think a lot of people maybe send things to, let's say, like a goodwill because it feels better than sending it directly to a trash, but it's also not necessarily selling. Again, like you said, it's the path of least resistance. And And it makes
1: them feel good about it.
0: Right, and it makes them feel good. And if that goodwill doesn't get to sell that item in three months, four months, whatever it may be, it's still going to a landfill. So it's really just delaying that ultimate disposal.
1: They're typically able to sell over about 20% of what comes in most of the like main thrift stores that you're used to wow. um, that's across adult and kids and kids I don't know a s- actual statistic but my guess is that it's significantly lower because of just you know they of the sheer quantity that they get mm-hmm. you you know a kid goes through 100 onesies what do you do with 100 onesies I mean it's you know you can't the resell on them is virtually nothing so the most of those are ending up with textile recyclers or in landfills.
0: Yeah, which is really crazy to think about. Like you mentioned, 20% is a really low number. And I felt like maybe it would be around 50, but to think that 20% of the donations that go into these charity shops actually does get sold is really eye opening to me to hear. And
1: that's 20% of the ones that are in good enough condition to resell. That's true. That's really true. All the damaged ones, you know, never make it on the shelf. And again, there are great situations. It's just, you know, a lot of people and we're all this way, right? Like rewind a bit, you know, when they, before they had like, you know, curbside recycling, not that many people recycled um, because it was hard and they know that it was better and they should, but as soon as it becomes convenient, a lot more people do it. And I think that's really where we're trying to make it really easy for people to not only for Swindle, like our members to say, you know what? I want to keep it really easy for them to fill up a bag, get it out of their house, know that even the damaged items, we have nonprofit partners that are you know, 100% reuse of textile recycling materials. They do further refinements of all the different, you know, materials so that they can find the absolute best reuse there. Anything that's really low value, like those 8 million onesies that even we get, some of them we'll try to repackage to make available to our members. We'll like regroup them, but a bunch of them, we just get such a huge supply that we've done the legwork to find charities that wear the clothes that when we donate are not getting resold, they're actually getting given to families to actually put on children. And so we wanted to make sure that it was for our members that they don't need to think about all these different little pieces and parts of the puzzle. It's just very easy. They put it all in and they know with all confidence that It's all going to get reused and it's going to provide value back to not only themselves in the terms of trade credits, but also anything that can't be used is being done the most responsible thing possible.
0: Right. And I am right with you in saying that sustainability has to be convenient and it has to make sense for someone economically for them to take part in it. Because a lot of people aren't doing this out of the goodness of their heart. They're doing it because it makes a lot more sense financially for them. So I like that. I like the idea of just putting everything in a bag and saying, I know this is going to get taken care of. And if I don't get credit for it, at least I know it's going to a good place. It may not be the
1: reason people do it, but it is the straw that makes them feel good about it, right? They know Mm -hmm. that it makes them feel that all of the items are having a reuse. We are at 100% reuse of all the textiles that come in.
0: That's incredible. 100% reuse is really high. I would love to hear a little bit about the timeline because it sounds like this is an intensive process for you. You get a bag of clothing from a family and everything has to be inventoried and then assigned a trade credit and then what you can't resell or retrade within the members you have to send elsewhere. What's the typical timeline for a bag to get to you and like what happens? So
1: I will say that right now, in this kind of crazy environment that we're in, it's, it's not our typical. We're, our, we're running a little bit slower just because we have to keep everybody separate and change the scheduling and you know, only make sure certain things are being touched by certain people. And so it's a little bit different environment. But typically, folks request a bag on our site, and it's a prepaid shipping bag that's reusable. So. They receive the bag, they fill it up with items, put a fresh return label on it, send it back to us. It typically takes, depending on where you live in the country, anywhere from two to five business days. Occasionally, again, right now with shipping delays, it's taking longer, a little bit out of our control at this point. Once we get the bag, usually we let them know right away that we've gotten it. We then do, you know, a sorting process to kind of weed out any of the damaged items, any of the low value items, do any like grouping of outfits that need to get grouped. And then we catalog items, photograph them and repackage them. We usually do it within five business days. Right now it's about double that. So within 10 business days. And then from the customer perspective, it doesn't have to wait to quote unquote sell. They get their trade credits as soon as the bag is processed and they're able to go on the site and be able to kind of then order comparable items back out from the site.
0: Oh, I didn't even realize that you don't even necessarily have to wait for your items to sell because that makes it even more convenient on the family.
1: That's right. They basically get it as soon as we process their bags, you know, depending on what they've sent in, they're going to get a mix of trade credits. And it, you know, it kind of is like how many level one trades, two trade, level twos, level threes, level fours, and level fives. And that's the only levels we have. We have five levels. And you then can go on the site. And it's basically like instead of paying cash from, you're just using your trade credits to take something back out. And so you send in a gap sweater. And it's a level two credit, you can then take out any other level two. It doesn't have to be a gap sweater. It can be, it doesn't have to be for a girl, it could be for a boy, it could be, you know, a sundress. It could be, you know, any brand that happens to be categorized as that level two.
0: Wow, that's awesome. And that's incredibly convenient for the consumer. Like I knew it was convenient, but this is just taking it to another level to think that you really have so much freedom once you're already a part of this membership trading program. And as an entrepreneur, I would love to ask you like my favorite kinds of questions are, I call them like shark tank style questions (laughs) because I have to imagine that you have big dreams for where this can go and how you can scale this because it is quite involved and you're bringing a lot of people on board. And this is clearly an incredible idea for kids clothing. How could you see this swindle society model really being scaled in the future? Like where do you want this to be in five, 10 years? I think there's two pieces.
1: Right now, we've been really focused on building out direct to consumer, if you will, base, where we're saying, let's build a platform, let's build an inventory collection, let's make it so that people can swap with quote unquote one another, even though we are pooling it all together. So we make it easy. It's like one, it's just like shopping on any other website. And I think as we gain membership and as we gain traction, we're going to be able to add more benefits to the membership besides just trading. So I see that being a really great opportunity for both our customers, but also for us as a business to be able to, you know, layer in some great partnerships with other like minded, kid focused, sustainability driven, mission focused brands. The other big place where I see us going, and we've just started having, you know, some great conversations about this and actually have one brand already on board is providing services to retailers and kids clothing brands and help support their sustainability and resale initiatives. I think more and more brands are looking at, okay, well, we're producing all this stuff and we're continuing to produce it. But we also need to realize that out there in the marketplace, we've already created thousands and thousands of garments and other brands, you know, are able to make money off of reselling our own product. So, why wouldn't we get into the game of reselling our own stuff and ex- using that as like loyalty program slash you know revenue generators and make money off of those products and basically be able to sell them twice so Swindle could provide all of that functionality for them without them needing to kind of build out entire new divisions within their organization to do the collection, the refurbishment, the cataloging and inventory the photography of unique pieces and then fulfillment of those items, we could provide that for them and allow them to really kind of play in the truest form of sustainability, which is reuse.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And I think being able to partner with brands would be so powerful from a sustainability perspective, because we know as consumers, as people who are benefiting from investigative journalism, so to speak, in the fashion world, that there are a lot of businesses that if you don't sell product for a season, it ends up going to a dumpster in the back of the facility. So yep. when we think about that, when we think about how there are brands that are interested in going the extra mile, it's hard to build out that division. And I think that there's a lot of maybe pushback from the general public, maybe people who have not been too intimately familiar with the industry, that a lot of these brands don't have the capacity right now to be more sustainable. It seems as though everyone's making efforts, but it's really hard to build out a whole team and have to put in all these processes and really look at your sustainability reporting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's expensive and really look at your sustainability reporting and your sustainability plan and say, how am I actually going to make this happen? And and have it be
1: profitable and have it it be profitable and have it make sense because if it's going to lose money, it's not going to make sense and it won't be successful for anybody, right? we as a world and as a society, and I'm hopeful and believe that Swindle can be a big part of this, have both the expertise and figured out all of these logistics already and have these procedures in place to make it a pretty plug-and-play solution so that even folks who have all their expertise in design and, you know, fashion design and manufacturing and creation and sales, like there's so many amazing skill sets in that. Like to have to layer on all of The capabilities for kind of a full reuse is not an insignificant task and you'd have to make it, it's likely only going to make sense for people who are selling a slightly more premium product because it obviously needs to have a resale value to it. And if you're going to be taking on the costs associated with inbound shipping and fulfillment and processing and what have you, you need to be able to resell that product for some, I'm not sure exactly what the threshold would be, but it needs to have some modest, you know, resell value.
0: Right. Because just like we were saying at the beginning, for the families, sustainability has to be convenient and financially makes sense. It has to be the same way for brands and it has to be the same way for the fashion industry. Having a plug and play model, like you said, I really like that. Having a plug and play model makes a lot of sense for these brands because it's the path of least resistance. It's still going to be financially a good move for them. It's still going to be profitable and it has to to make sense.
1: Tremendous loyalty. You know, if somebody can, instead of paying, you know, $15 for a pack of two, you know, pajamas, maybe it's $40 for that initial pair of pajamas, but that you can keep parlaying that one pair of $40 pajamas into pajamas for the rest of their life. I mean, the value again is is pretty significant there for both the consumer and if the brand can keep reselling those same pajamas and making money off of the one manufacturing cost that they had and the one design cost for you know a handful of years or you know maybe not that long but for a few years that is again a pretty significant upside opportunity there.
0: Yeah, that reminds me a lot of the argument for electric vehicles or smart thermostats or anything to make your home a little bit more energy efficient. It's an upfront cost that's higher than the traditional option, but it's something that's going to save you so much money in the long run. It's actually the smarter choice a lot of the time from a fiscal perspective. So I think when you're thinking about applying that to the fashion industry, this is a completely reasonable way to kind of do the same thing and you're putting a little bit more upfront to buy quality. That's exactly, right. Exactly. Buying quality and then knowing that you are going to be able to benefit from this higher price point purchase for so much longer. I feel like it makes so much sense. Yes. I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes so much sense. Because there will be inevitably a higher price point does push some of the consumers out of the market for these options. And that, you know, that's always Except- going to be
1: The beauty is that once you get into that resale for those kind of more premium Mm -hmm. products, that price point then is a lot lower and it provides an opportunity for those folks who the original maybe retail was maybe a little out of reach or a stretch, but now as in a secondhand space, you've created loyalty to come to that brand because you know that there is a resale component. You know that there is a reuse and a trade-in piece and that they can still buy quality they might not have been able to get before. And I think that that opens up the door again to a whole new audience for some of these brands that, you know, before, you know, they have their diehard loyal folks, but there's probably missing a big segment of the population that just can't afford, even if they love the product.
0: Exactly, exactly. It creates this whole new market for people to be able to buy into these brands that maybe have been out of reach once you introduce that resale component. So I think it's really a cool idea when it comes to not only sustainability and just long-term consumer loyalty to a brand, but also being able to bring other people into the brand and make it a little bit more accessible, even if it's not at that initial $40 for two pajamas price point, being able to purchase them longer term, secondhand in good quality, that makes all the difference for a lot of people. Jen, I would love to close off the conversation with maybe some advice or some tips you may have for mothers of young children, of families with young children, when it comes to shopping secondhand for clothing. What are some of the kind of gaps, perhaps, in the consumer consciousness when it comes to children's clothing, especially? Great question.
1: So there's the secondhand space. There is a lot of options to do it. And I think it's becoming more and more options to be able to go out there and online and purchase them. I do think that some of the challenges are in the peer to peer space. Typically, if you have to kind of be willing to hunt, and I think if you are willing to hunt, you know, you can find some great deals like on neighborhood, you know, mom's groups and that kind of thing. And hey, if you can do it and you have a good network, go crazy. What we hear from a lot of our swindle members is that sometimes that they'll get some of those bags of clothes that they pay, you know, whatever amount of money for a bag of clothes. And they're like, I'll get a few pieces out of there that I love. And then I'll swindle the rest because it's just not my style or it didn't quite fit my kid." (laughs) So they use them very complimentary. I would say the other thing is, you know, just think through the kinds of things that make sense to buy first, you know, retail versus the things that you really should have like a network of opportunities to look for secondhand things that your kids are only going to wear one time or two times, special occasion clothes, costumes, that kind of stuff. The opportunities to get those secondhand is so valuable because those things are literally going to be worn for like just Halloween, right? <laughs> for that one picture for your Christmas card or your holiday card, or, you know, get that just one, don't buy that stuff. That creates so much waste, both from like a consumer demand perspective. The impulse buys we talked a little bit about, but I think a lot of people really don't realize how much they're spending on their kids' clothes. I think it kind of gets buried into a lot of other buckets of budget because they're, you know, shopping for groceries or here and there, and they like throw in a couple extra, you know, glitter t-shirts And I think that from like both the cost and from like a, you know, reusability that that is, it's not good for either component. Those are probably some of my best tips is just really thinking about those items that are going to be worn just a handful of times and start there, right? Focus on just chipping away at getting a portion of your kid's clothing to be secondhand and, What you'll find, I think it snowballs, you'll find that, oh, that was so easy. Let me see if I can go from 10% of their wardrobe being secondhand to 20. And what we hear from a lot of Swindle members is like well over 50% of their kids' wardrobes are now coming from Swundle after they kind of got in their groove. So there's a lot of cool opportunities out there. I think, you know, again, of course I believe Swundle is the best option, but looking secondhand as your first choice, I think should be worked into no matter what socioeconomic status is, you shouldn't always just say, well, I can afford it, so I'm gonna just buy it new. That's not the right answer from like a big societal and environmental practice is that we should all take a moment and say, do I really need this new? (laughs) And see if you can't
0: look to secondhand first. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really eye-opening because I feel like you're introducing some really cool ideas to the fashion industry. I'm really thankful to have this opportunity. Well, thank you very much. I was happy to share my insights with you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode so, so much. I know I got a lot out of that conversation with Jen. Check out the Swindle Society. All of their links will be down in the show notes. As I mentioned, I look forward to seeing you again here very, very soon.